Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us on a Friday morning for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Good morning. Your travel schedule starts to sound like mine. And yeah, actually, you're right. But it, Toronto is one of my favorite cities. It's a great, great community, really wonderful people, as are all the communities you're visiting. So I hope they give you a proper proper uh, welcome and have the red carpets out and everything to to make sure. But we'll have red carpets out. So I give a mazel tov to Avi Stein and Racheli Kass, who are getting married this Sunday. Wow, mazel tov. The Amazing. The son of... And Sarah Stein and this uh, Mr. and Ms. Victor Koss. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's your grandson. <laughs> that too. <laughs> let, let, let's <laughs> let's make that clear. It is your grandson, and that reminds me. I'm going to again wish Mazel Tov to Dr. Mark Singer, our amazing friend, because we're celebrating his Ufruf tomorrow, and we wish a Mazel Tov to a Dr. Mark Singer, and of course Toby, and we are looking forward to an amazing and incredible Ufruf celebration in Queens. This coming Shabbos. Well, Malcolm, uh, it's been too many weeks, too many Fridays where we have to start with this. The collective Jewish heart around the entire world with such great pain and such great agony uh, watched as uh, yet another one of these, uh, more than one of these terrorist episodes unfolded in Israel. We know the results of the first one from earlier in the week as um, the uh, as the uh, baby of the... Uh, of um, of uh, this wonderful young couple from from Ofra, Ishram, yeah. uh, Shira and Amichai Ishran um, ended up being the victim of a murder. Frankly, that's uh, the baby ended up being the victim of murder. I, I think everybody listening knows the story. And then, of course, later in the week, the two soldiers um, murdered, and the funerals both taking place today in Israel. Uh, I, I think, first of all, I, I never never to uh, you know to rate or judge individual terrorist attacks. But you know, as I know, that there are certain attacks that really do attract the attention of the collective Jewish heart around the world. And these two, I think you'll agree, really uh, caused tremendous pain for everybody hearing the news. It is amazing how a four-day-old baby born after, obviously, the attack so galvanized uh, people, and you see the reaction. Uh, I will tell you, I too, I was, I was depressed afterwards, yep. and remained so. And the, it, it's, it's. You, I saw the pictures of the funeral. It's even hard to describe that. You know, sometimes events, and although there have been many tragedies and many people killed or wounded just this week, uh, how this uh, somehow just shows the inhumanity, the barbarism of these terrorist attacks that somebody could just drive by and shoot a pregnant woman. And look what she said, the courage that the mother demonstrated by saying, we will have many babies and we will, you know, that they don't give in, they don't express defeat. And the father of one of the Nahal Haredi's, the two Nahal Haredi soldiers that were killed, and it's online, the interview, it's in Hebrew, but it's worth it to take the time to watch it a man with a beard and payas and a black hat, and he's interviewed by the media during the shiva, and he he tells this, his own personal story that he was about shiva after the Yom Kippur War, I think. He was a soldier, became religious, and he talks about his son and the pride 
of his son in serving in the IDF, even though he's a Haredi, even, I mean, it's, it is so moving, and the, the stoic nature of his thing, saying that his son had expressed just a Shabbat before he was killed, the, the joy and the privilege he felt that he could, with his body, defend the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. Everybody has to watch it. If you want to understand what Israel is really about, and everybody talks about, and he, this father talks about the divisions in in the, amongst Israel, the sorry. Israeli people, and right. and at that moment, if this doesn't galvanize people and change them and make them rethink, and everybody should watch it and and show it to their kids and show it to their families, it, it is so. It is one of the most powerful things that I can remember seeing. Um, there's so many things to discuss about this. First of all, you, you make a point that it has to be emphasized. There's there there's an element, and again, this is why they're living in Ofra, and this is why they have this incredible pioneering spirit. Uh, there is an element in, in those who, you know, in these families that are affected by these attacks in those areas of Israel, uh, that, 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 that simply... I don't know, they they emphasize the big picture. They're able through all their pain, and all of us think, God forbid, if we'd ever be in a situation like that, what would, we be, what, would we be, what would we be like? They're able to emphasize through all this pain how the Jewish future will continue and how more babies will be born and how we're going to be, we're going to be victorious over the enemy. And this is all not only in a situation where they're being attacked, but in a situation where they question, and I say it that way, whether the government and whether those who are supposed to protect them are doing the best job possible at that. And with all of that, they all, and we see this in every episode, they come out with the most positive, incredible, and remarkable uh, comments about their future and the Jewish future. And I think that has to be recognized. That's absolutely true, that uh, the people... uh and you have to put yourself in their shoes to think the pain and, and oh. what they've gone through. We saw the grandfather, Mr. Silverstein, American, and um, the baby itself was an Israeli-Canadian. Right. That the um, I mean, these are people who came to Israel because they wanted to build Israel and understand that the potential sacrifice. And we, and we look around the world and look at all the Jews who, who've been suffering the anti-Semitic attacks. Uh, you know, we had an NYU this week that they closed the Jewish uh, center. Right. Uh, thank God it was reopened because of threats against it and the the number of incidents, uh, physical assaults that, that have taken place. Ohio, the Toledo and, center? And then you have this guy in Toledo who was inspired by the Pittsburgh shooter, but started before that and was going to carry out an attack on a synagogue, and, and how many others that have been prevented because, you know, of intelligence, because they were able to track it, or because they have people under surveillance. The guys who carried out the attacks in Europe were all, uh, mostly were under the uh, police surveillance already, because they had seen the radicalization. They saw what sites they were looking at on online. They saw the communications that they had engaged in. So, you know, at least the people in Israel feel that they are there for a purpose, and if, God forbid, something like this happens, that they can look beyond the, their own pain and sorrow and understand the, the, the national significance right, exactly. is incredible. That's the uh, that's the phrase, national significance is right. And yesterday I'm meeting with somebody, and they tell me that, um, that their cousins live in Ofra. And what are their cousins most thankful for? that their kids go to school in the actual city of Ofran, don't have to, you know, in a mandatory way, don't have to travel those roads every day. And, 
Imagine the terror. Just that. I mean, with, I mean, and obviously there's a lot of other things to, to imagine that are much worse. But imagine the terror just having to make that decision about sending your kids to school or, or, or driving out of town for a moment because of what's happening on those roads. With that in mind, did any terror organization take credit for what happened this week with these individuals who are acting because they were inspired by the rhetoric of the PA and Hamas? So what can you tell us about that? So it looks like these are, are largely Hamas uh, operatives. Hamas, I think, is in a, it's a new front that they're trying to create in the West Bank. You know, they, they obviously continue the violence and the demonstrations, and I'm sure we'll see today uh, at the, in Gaza, despite the, quote, calming down. I don't know. I can't say that, it, that there's a, an agreement, but there certainly was some sort of an understanding to try and stop the rockets and, and some of the other attacks, although they continue, and they continue to try to cross the border. And the um, Friday demonstrations are still very riotous. But Hamas, as you know, is in a pitched battle with the Palestinian Authority, not just Israel, and wants all the time to establish a presence in the West Bank. And it seems that they are inciting uh, some of these attacks. But the PA itself bears responsibility as they continue to honor and to pay and to reward those who engage in these terrorist attacks, the murderer of this little baby will already get gets extolled as a martyr, and the the murderer of of the soldiers gets extolled as a uh, these cowards who drive by and try to escape, and thank God in most cases are caught. That they they are are, are extolled by the Palestinian Authority, by the leadership, uh, and they continue to get money. And for, and Germany this week, by the way. Uh, announced that they're not going to cut off funding for those who, for to the PA, for the money that they paid to the terrorists and reward them or their families after if they get killed uh, for their terrorist attacks. Um, so Hamas, I think, is engaged in trying to establish its presence. The Palestinian Authority obviously doesn't want it, and they give the orders from Gaza or from Lebanon. They don't allow. Hamas operatives there in the West Bank to create their own military infrastructure. So this has a lot to do with the internal rivalries. It has to do with the attempts to try to influence when the next election or counting on the actuarial tables that Abbas at some point has to go. Yeah, understood. Uh, look, you're, you're close to the prime minister. We all know that. Uh, at some point in the last decade or two, you've had to have brought up with him how difficult it is for him to pay these shiva calls and to walk into these homes. Look, I can make the argument that you know, no matter what, and no matter what the policy of the government would be, you know, we know what the enemy is like, and the prime minister can prevent all these attacks. I can certainly make that argument. But on the other side, he also knows walking into these homes that a lot of people blame him for you know a lackadaisical approach or a too too soft of an approach when it comes to the enemy. Uh, what what can you tell us about that? Is it, 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 it does he feel when he visits these homes that he knows that he's in, in in territory where most of the people are blaming him and his leadership for these types of episodes? They are blaming him increasingly. I mean, he is the uh, not only a prime minister, but uh, you know, right now he occupies so many posts, and I understand that he may. Um, relinquish the foreign ministry and appoint somebody, because I think the situation in the foreign ministry is deteriorating rapidly. There's job actions. They, they, the foreign ministry is demoralized. And not having a foreign yesterday, minister just yesterday, is, that's um, uh, you know, diminishes their role. Their, their, all, much of their function has been assumed by others in the allocation of funds to other ministries. 
based on mostly political considerations, has created a lot of resentment and, um, you know, marginalizing in part the foreign ministry, which is, is sad because there are very a lot of talented people. So I, I've heard that he will appoint a foreign minister. Uh, he needs to appoint the defense minister. He needs to appoint others to be in these um, key positions. Uh, and even if it's just to be able to consult, you know, he, he's very talented. He can carry a lot of the portfolios. But you need these people to, who will be focused singularly when he has so many uh, responsibilities, as well as, of course, the burden of some of the personal, the, the legal actions and stuff has to take some sort of, uh, of of a toll. So he he and the warnings to him are coming from the parties of the right, right? Not not the left. Well, people, or, well, people in Elfra and other areas are obviously looking for for action from him now. Now we saw this uh, release. Frankly, I'll I'll be honest with you. Uh, I I thought it may be a parody when I first saw it, but then we confirmed that it's real. Uh, the prime minister, in his role as defense minister, has has announced accelerated demolition of terrorist homes. We do know that that is somewhat of an effective strategy, right? We do know that it's somewhat of a deterrent. Continuing efforts to apprehend the murderers and dismantle the infrastructures from which they set out. Increased administrative detention of Hamas militants in Yudan Shomron. Reinforcement of IDF units in Yudan Shomron. Reinforcement of protection along roads and placement of checkpoints on roads in Yudan Shomron, which obviously in this case, you know, we, we know hopefully would have, would have helped and hopefully in the future will help. And placing a cordon around El Bira and revoking permits of family members of terrorists and their accomplices. Now, not that I have to sit here and defend the prime minister, but if, in fact, these types of things are going to be implemented, that is the direction to go in in order to protect the citizens of Samaria, right? Uh, All of these measures and many more have been proposed. One has to think the prime minister gets this also. The IDF gets it. They, They know the things that can be done. It's not all practical in terms of implementation. I think practicality should be the second consideration. Security has to be the first, and they should do whatever um, whatever is necessary to protect the lives of, of uh, the civilian citizens and, and, and military to be able to function. And the security cooperation um, hopefully will continue, but Israel has to then, if not, act and not allow a void to, to be created in terms of the security uh, needs. But remember, the prime minister... Uh, I just wanted to decide that sure. that you know he's dealing with the situation in the West Bank. He's dealing in Yudan Shomron security. He's got to deal with the problems in Jerusalem. Uh, he's dealing with huge problems in the Golan and the escalating situation and the, the discovery of the third tunnel and the um, in increased efforts of Iran to, to create their presence and Hezbollah's uh, efforts and knowing that that in Lebanon they're bringing these guided missile systems. And I talked about this weeks ago, that they would build the factories, and now we believe they are, in addition to the direct flights to Beirut and transversing in Syria, which Israel has tried to address. He has to look at the um, the, the uh, situation of uh, uh, um, the people in the north getting Yancey, seeing uh, uh, tunnels coming near Matula and and uh, Yiftach, uh, now with these three tunnels already, and they don't know how many more they're going to, to discover and putting the onus, trying to put the onus on Unithil, that the... Um, 
you know, the prime minister has to weigh, and with the resources, not not unlimited resources, of the IDF to to address each of these situations. Uh, the, and and there's so many more things that people don't know. They're clearing mines still from areas, both in the West Bank and and in another area near. Uh, uh, churches, which they're they're trying to uh, clear, that have been there since the the '67 war, since the war of attrition, and the you know I, I don't know how a prime minister, who's also the defense minister and the foreign minister, you know, can address. And he's very smart, but you can't do all of these things. Um, and you know, we saw this week the murder of an Israeli Arab. Um, a Palestinian was killed in an Israeli Arab town because he was accused of selling land to Israelis, that they have a death penalty against anybody who sands, sells lands to, land to a Jew, even rents apartments. And as I told the people in Airbnb, you know, <laughs> that they, that they you know, uh, didn't take any action against people who, who have engaged in these actions, let alone countries that are on our terrorism watch list or right. terrorism support states. Right. They didn't take action against them. Yeah, that, and that's such a good point, and people should keep that in mind when they do write or call uh, to protest Airbnb. We'll do more on Airbnb coming up. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web, at com on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Support us, our year-end fundraiser, fjbunity.org. You could sponsor part or all of a JMNAM broadcast. <clears throat> Go to fjbunity.org. And we thank you. Prime Minister Netanyahu, and I need to know <clears throat> if he's allowed to do this. Prime Minister Netanyahu decided to legalize thousands of homes and communities in Yudan Shamron that were built in good faith and which have yet to be legalized, some for decades. This is in reaction to what happened in Ofra. Now, he does not need the attorney general or judges or courts to do this. He can go ahead and do that? It was Shaked, the Minister of Justice, who proposed it. Ah. And uh, yes, he does need uh, approval, but these were approved before, and now... Um, I think this is, uh, you know, that he needs to placate these, this population also. You know, right. the pressure builds for an election, which will take place within a year, no matter what, uh, either the official date in November of next year or earlier, if if that is deemed uh, by him to be uh, essential and necessary. And it may well be. So, the um, yeah, the, this is something he can... He can order because they already have the, I mean, the Minister of Justice said right. that it's, it's approved. And with that in mind, he's requested that the Attorney General take legal steps to facilitate the construction of 82 new residential units in Ofra, and he's advancing the construction of two new industrial zones near Avne Chefetz and Beitar Elite. Uh, but I, well, I want to go back to the tunnels in a second, but you mentioned Airbnb. Um, you alluded to this last week, the state of Illinois is 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 um, pondering whether the action by Airbnb now puts them in a legal situation, um, you know, with anti BDS legislation, um, where they might be considered illegal, or you know, in, in what, what would it be? Would it be illegal for for you know pe- people in, in Illinois or Illinois to as a state to use them? Like how how would that work? What would what would be the penalty to Airbnb if they would be found in violation of the BDS uh, legislation? Well, the governor elect of Florida also and other states have indicated that uh, that the, the, these kind of actions would be mandated by the in, in the twenty six states certainly that have anti BDS laws. Not all of them actually cover this. Some are. Uh, executive orders, some are legislative orders, but in Illinois, it was the uh, Investment Policy Board 
that voted to notify Airbnb that the, it, it is in violation of the state laws barring the economic boycott of Israel, and they gave them 90 days to respond before it's blacklisted, which means that Illinois state employees would not use it. And it also means that in the spring when Airbnb plans its IPO, it's a public offering, um, they would not invest. And we hope that other pension plans, especially we, we hope that uh, New York, New Jersey, Governor Cuomo, Governor Murphy, others, that Tom DiNapoli, the controller, will also come out and say that that the policy is under review at the very least and that the, that the potential is that they will be barred from doing business uh, with state employees and for, for investment if they continue to comply. And uh, I've met them. I, I, I think, you know, that they're in a situation that they created for themselves and they have to find a way out. We had some ideas, but we can't allow it to stand if for no other reason than the precedent it establishes. Right. And they, and, and they, and they really, they, they had a bad stroke of luck because a lot of these things die out after a week or two, but this just doesn't stop. Well, I don't think it's a bad stroke of luck. I think it's, it's a moral outrage at the a decision that they can be in other disputed territories, that they are in states that are in massive violation of, of human rights, that are terrorist support states, according to American definition and law. And yet they singled out one group in one area, and it's, it is not an economic impact. It's not going to affect Israel's economy, and it, by and large, doesn't affect that many people in the West Bank. I'm sure those who, who rent are upset, but it's the statement it makes, it, the discriminatory practice that is inherent in it, and they have to make a decision, and, and it's not our decision. We have to keep the pressure on, right. and we need everybody who cares. After these attacks, this is, again, one of the things that we can do as a statement, and it doesn't prejudge the outcome of any potential negotiations. And it was Saeed Barakat of the PA, just as the PA was the one instituting and pushing the, the BDS movement, they pushed this decision. And, you know, there was no consultation and there was no discussion before with the community, with anybody about what the implications, maybe they did it internally, but I spoke to board members and they said that they were not consulted and uh, about this. You know, there just has to come a time when we draw the line and say no more. It is not uh, about money in this case. This is a, a precedent and a practice that can lead to others feeling they can be justified in doing similar things. And, and in this case, they say, well, we're still operating in East Jerusalem, which is true. And in the Golan, there right. was only one specific uh, area for whatever reason that I still can't understand, even after discussing it. And I'm not sure, and I don't think necessarily in most cases with bad intention even, by the way, speaking of Israeli and, and, and Yudan Shomron resilience, I'm sure you're aware already, already there's a group of men and women that have put together their own Airbnb-type uh, company. I think we're going to be featuring them this coming week here, in fact, uh, just to, you know, not just combat it, but to take advantage of the fact that Airbnb won't list anymore, so they've created their own listing company. So, And many people are pulling out who, who did use it. I've right. used it. I know it, there are many, many people in Israel, I think, um, they, they talked about how much money they, they, I mean, huge amounts of money that are involved in Airbnb in Israel, and they intend to continue to invest, and they want to build up more of their investment. So they don't really get what the what the core issue here is about what why this is so sensitive, why this is such a um, a serious move, 
And the, you know, at a time, again, when we see the rise of, the, of these terrorist activities, it's the same thing about why Germany's decision not to cut off the funding, not to have a Taylor Force Act, or, or their decisions, you know, France and Germany to bypass the sanctions in Iran and say they're going to create an economic alternative. It's not the economics of it that matters, because amounts of money involved are going to be small. There are a thousand German companies doing business in Iran. Most of them are small because the big international companies pulled out not to have to do business because uh, they're afraid of losing the right to do business in the U.S. In, in fact, even the Chinese uh, petroleum company pulled out of the PARS deal, which I talked about when they signed it uh, several months ago, that they announced that they're pulling, pulling out of it because they're afraid of the consequences. That's the message, that there has to be clear uh, uh, price to pay if you are going to be blind to the interests of the Jewish community, of Israel, the security of Jews, to, to the security of others, then we, there is going to be a price to pay. There's a corporate responsibility. There's an individual responsibility. Now, we have to hold them to account for that. Now, one other note, by the way, on the, on the Ofra story, the United Nations did not condemn Hamas, even though, again, you, you had mentioned that uh, it, it is a Hamas, uh, you know, there are ties to Hamas uh, between the terrorists and the organization, but the UN, of course, did not take and action. And notice that this, these attacks, the escalation attacks, came days afterwards, and the Hamas claiming a victory when, in fact, 87 countries voted against Hamas, right. the biggest number so far, and it was a plurality, even though the, they invoked uh, Bolivia and, uh, and the Arab countries uh, led an effort to, to invoke a requirement that they have a two-thirds, not a majority, but a two-thirds majority, had it been the regular majority, it would have passed. But because they needed two-thirds, they fell a few votes short of that. And that only passed by a 75 to 72 vote, the initial, the, to, to require this uh, special procedure. Uh, but but the, the Hamas clearly draws inspiration and says, look at the international community. Yep. Why not? <laughs> if they're silent in the face of, or in the aftermath of these attacks, you know. Very easy to get away with these things as long as nobody cares, it seems. And by the way, speaking of nobody caring, and too many people pointed this out to me this week, uh, we, we know that the world media, I'm not talking about the Israeli or Jewish media, but the world media paid no attention to this attack in, in Ofra until when? Until the funeral took place on Wednesday. Then all of a sudden they splashed the pictures on the front pages. That's it. An important thing to remember, as you always remind us, you know, when it comes and, and it, to... And it's, and it's a 15-minute story in... in uh in terms of the media coverage. And, and also, you know, the way they described the communities that were involved, where these people came from, uh, was not exactly an accurate uh, uh, portrayal. Yeah, I would assume the word radical was used very often. Um, it's, it, implicitly or explicitly. Right. Uh, all right. And you mentioned the tunnel. I mean, so now it's the third tunnel up north. And I mean, we should note that the U.S. stood up and, and condemned it right away and did the right thing. And Ambassador Friedman had some amazing tweets, uh, really poignant, direct statements about uh, you know about what the world should, how the world should be reacting to this enemy as opposed to the way they actually do in the aftermath of these attacks. And he's to be commended. But so did State Department, and right. so did, I think the president did. I, I can't say exactly because, but but certainly administration came out clearly and led the effort on the on the Hamas resolution. Uh, so it should be noted that the, the U.S. stood up right on this. And they should be thanked for it as well, which is another topic, I guess. Um, uh, so you mentioned the tunnels, and now the third time. I mean, By the way, you know that the president signed the waiver on the Jerusalem Embassy Act. President Trump signed it now. Well, one second. That, that, doesn't that normally... <laughs> 
Doesn't that nor- doesn't that normally mean that there's a postponement of six months? Yes, but it's because the law requires the transfer of the residence of the ambassador, and until that's formally done, that he has to keep signing it. So when people see that they signed it, don't get excited. It doesn't affect the move of the embassy. It's only a technical requirement because it also requires the move of the ambassador's permanent resident. One second. In, the, in, in, in his Hanukkah message to the Jewish community, and I think you were standing there, didn't he say that the, 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 the purchase, the renovations, the complete move? That's the embassy. Right, was already done? Yeah, but the, the official residence still remains in Tel Aviv. Mm. So it's only, it's, I'm saying it's technicality. I don't right. want people to get excited and saying, oh, he's going to, he's reneging on the thing. No, there's nothing to do with the embassy. It's only because the 95 law, uh, when we enacted it, we included the move of the residence because we didn't want it just to be, you know, to set up a satellite office, but that the full recognition had to be including the move of the embassy, of the residence. There was no ceremony for the signing of the waiver, was there? <laughs> I, doubt it. I would hope not. Uh, to the tunnel, so to now the, the third tunnel, as you mentioned, up north. I mean, how many are there? Could, and the reason I'm saying it like that is because one would expect that that you know the IDF and the security forces up north would would have been more familiar with all this activity. You know, if we get to a point where you know ten or twenty tunnels are discovered, then it's going to be somewhat suspicious that Israel didn't know what was going on up there. Um, how many more could there be at this point? Well, it's not 10 or 20, but there there are going to be more, I'm afraid. And don't forget, you're talking about a border area, so from Matula to Yiftach and, and uh, in the broader area. Um, and these tunnels are 80 feet below ground, so they're not detected. Israel's invented new seismic detection equipment and other things that help them to, to address this. They tunnel through through rock. Because this is not like in Gaza, where you have sand. This is in, in you know, rock. You're going through a mountain. Uh, so these take a long time. And remember, they start underneath somebody's home. Right. So they dig in the basement, and they go down very far. And it runs about, I think, 400 feet. But it only, it only needs to go 30, 40 feet in Israel. None of these were completed. They weren't operational yet. Uh, Israel is demanding that Unifil destroy them, and and uh, put they put explosives in them in case somebody tries to to use them or to you know continue. Uh, they they uh, and the army knew the IDF knew about the existence of the first tunnel, uh, and they had been monitoring it because they wanted to see where they were headed. And you know, th- think about the the financial investment. These are complicated. Places they are reinforced. They they uh, have to go as I said, doing operating eighty feet underground and then coming up um, near one of the uh, communities on the on the border. And it was clearly meant to be a terror attack and a terror operation uh, against uh, against Israel. And Israel has warned civilians to stay out of it. And the and if those who live on top of the tunnels to get out of their homes, because they're going to have to explode them, they have to make sure that they can't be operational again. And the the um, uh, you know at the same time we see that Iran's Iran is moving their the missile um, the the, the uh, effort to. Uh, put on precision guidance systems on the missiles on the 130, 140,000 rockets that are in Hezbollah's um, 
possession in Lebanon to, to add them, and they're building the factory there, let alone shipping in these things. So Israel has multiple agendas, and now it's clear that if Israel attacks Lebanon, it, it is not restricted because the Lebanese government must have known there must have been some collaboration. The idea the UN and UNITHO forces have not lived up to their responsibility, which is to stop the flow of arms, let alone building of tunnels, let alone the other equipment that has been brought um, to military equipment that is being brought into it. And the one in every three houses in in, in um, southern Lebanon has has a missile or some military Hezbollah military placement in it. So there, these are not innocent civilians. These are, are these become military targets, and they, they should be put all on notice that the, and as Israel has, and given them fair warning that they will be that they will be targeted. And it, it shows that Iran continues. They continue to help their goal still of, of penetrating Israel and of threatening Israel from from the north, just as they do from Hamas and they do from uh, as they're building their presence in in Iraq and uh, certainly in Syria along the the entire border and the Jordan border. So the the um, these tunnels are are were part of the strategy. It wasn't to defeat Israel, but it's in conjunction with the launching of missiles that they would come underground and above ground in a, in a multi-pronged attack. Wow. So the news that Iran is less involved in Syria is essentially irrelevant because they just put their forces in, in other areas of the of, of, of the areas near it Israel. It said that they lessened their, their uh, presence, presence there, but that doesn't mean they didn't increase the militias. It right. doesn't mean that they didn't, the RGC and the others aren't using the forces, including the Syrian army now, which is taking over more area, and they've infiltrated that. The... the um, um, so the, their footprint may be diminished in terms of direct, and that could be because of the economic pressures of the sanctions on Iran of not being able to keep it. And Hezbollah is is complaining that they don't have enough money. In fact, they set up pushkas in, in stores in, in Lebanon to collect money to support the forces. And I don't know whether people really have a, a choice. You see Iran and North Korea this week announced that they're greater cooperation against the U.S. And they, they, the uh, Rouhani uh, appealed to the public for unity against the U.S. economic and psychological warfare. Clearly, all these things, the sanctions are having an impact. And the European efforts to bypass them are, are going to come to nil. The, the, you know, the German companies, what to me was most horrific, is that half of the sales of all of these thousand companies that I mentioned um, it, it are um, are chemical wep- are chemicals, and one third of it is machinery and plant equipment, which we know can be dual use uh, equipment. So the uh, I mean I think the symbolism of that can't be lost on on, on people about what what it really means. So it's really critical for us to understand what what is going on. In the north, why the prime minister sometimes it may go lighter on the response in Hamas not to have a two-front challenge at, at, at the same time, because the, the challenge from Hezbollah is a much greater one in terms of the intensity of what they have to, to launch against Israel, uh, the potential of a conflict, which I think at this point they don't want. They know what the, the people of Lebanon certainly are not going to want it because they know what the consequences will be. But the Lebanese government has to take steps. The, Israeli, the Lebanese army has to take steps if, if they 
want to they they want to show that they are in fact not complicit in this. All right, a couple of quick notes. Uh, Jews in Europe, the poll says 38% of them contemplate leaving Europe. I think it's a high number frankly, especially what you always point out that when you're in a you know when you're in a when you're in a host country, you don't always like to tell the pollsters that you actually want to leave. Don't you find it to be a high number? I'm not surprised because we've seen this number before. I have talked about it. I think it's a growing frustration with the uh, political situation in Europe. You know, when 40% of Brits say that they Jews will, will leave if Corbyn gets elected, um, we already saw this year 10% of the people Jewish community in Paris moved, not necessarily out of the country, but moved from where they live to another place because it's intolerable. The number of anti-Semitic attacks, as you see, uh, continues, and frankly, it, it, we, are, we are seeing it here increasingly. The, the number of incidents, there, there's a there is not a day when we don't get reports of a physical assault or something against whether on a campus in a community, and often in both, that uh, the, the numbers are, are really quite, um, are quite concerning. And the people in Europe are looking at this ex- the extremism, the partisanship, the changing demographics of the countries, and that's reflected now in these polls. And you're right, it is, it is not something Europeans would have said, a number of European Jews would have said right. a, a number of years ago. But they're not just saying it, they're acting on it. And just look at the cranes all along the, the cities of Israel, and every city in Israel, and the, the Europeans buying uh, apartments and houses there or even elsewhere. Um, and finally, not only does Roger Waters keep Pink Floyd out of Israel, he's actually influenced the Pink Floyd tribute band to stay out of Israel. And I hope that everybody will do everything possible to send a message that, they, that we not support him, that he's on a, a tour, and because of pressure brought by Jewish communities in South America, they, he, he had to uh, commit not to say political things on the stage. Wow, that's good to know. But, but he has to, but he, the problem is that he continues to do it off stage. that he right. continues to be the primary amongst the primary proponents of the uh, of the um, of BDS and the um, uh, and trying to force others and putting pressure on other performers who announce that they will have uh, tours in Israel or perform in Israel. You know, it doesn't change Israel if some rock band or whatever they are doesn't perform. It does add to the isolation, and it does um, enhance this idea that somehow it is an illicit country, it's it's uh, um, different than all of the terrible places where he goes and performs and doesn't have any problem. You know, he does it purely for financial, but only when he singles out Israel for, um, you know, for for these discriminatory measures. All right, Malcolm, I thank you. Mazal tov on your grandson's wedding. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. God willing, be well. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. It's a Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayigash, candlelighting time at 4.09 here in New York.